Well, good morning, Salem. Great to see you guys here uh, this morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. Uh, so I greet you with all of my greetings. If you're online, if you're joining us uh, via the web, we're glad you guys are joining us uh, as well. So uh, before we uh, dive in to our final uh, time in this series for uh, this city, uh, just a real quick uh, kind of all-church announcement or kind of maybe half-all-church announcement. Uh, raise your hand if you're a guy. Awesome. Um, how many of you are breathing? Awesome. Keep them up. Okay. We need you. <laughs> um, here's the deal. Um, so Summer Blast is coming up, and, um, and we need some guys uh, to, to be here and to, uh, to show up into the lives of these kids. And, and, uh, and so here's what I just wanted to say. You know, as I was thinking through this this week, you know, so many times we use that word volunteer. Uh, and volunteer can sometimes, I think for some of us, and myself included, if it's not attached to a why, uh, it feels like it just doesn't re, like it doesn't resound. It doesn't like echo in my heart uh, because volunteering sometimes just means I'm filling gaps. Has anybody ever felt like you've just been used for something? You know, like here's the deal. I want to re, I want to recreate that word for a second and just say here's what we want. We're looking for guys to come and invest in the lives of young kids. Uh, and this is a very biblical thing. You know, Paul, who said, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, um, what, we are, what we're hoping is for some guys to come uh, with this, this reframed image of what it means to volunteer, because what we're talking about is not filling spots. We're talking about life transformation. We're talking about showing up and, and being, uh, being there as these kids are wrestling with questions, and then you guys get to respond and, and lead. And this is a beautiful, beautiful time. So if you're a guy I just want to encourage you guys to talk to Jordan afterwards or talk to them at the, at the booth. So, um, so our family um, is entering into a new season, uh, and it's around this word called uh, soccer. So um, this is a tension in our, in our household uh, because whenever there's a ball that's present, uh, my wife is encouraging our daughter to kick it, and I'm encouraging her to pick it up and throw it <laughs> um, because I'm a baseball guy and she's a soccer person. And so here's the deal. Um, we, we ent- we're entering into this new season, uh, and, uh, and so we, we started soccer games, and so we're, here we are driving in the car, and we're going to this thing, and I have this, the, by the way, the to- this totally wrong image uh, of what to expect, and I'm thinking this, this is going to be one field and a few parents, um, and, and, we, and we get there, and we just embark on this total nightmare of a chaos. You know, like, it was like hundreds of cars, and like, people are like, like frantically driving to find a, a parking spot, and I'm like, goodness gracious, like, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into, you know? And then I enter onto the field, and, and what I see is this, I mean, like, like there's like, I, I don't even know, like, the whole thing, the whole time I'm walking through this crowd, I'm like, my goodness, why in the world do this many people? all love soccer. Like, it, it, it just, it doesn't compute to me, like, in, in any way, shape, or form. I'm like, like, uh, kicking a ball around a field. I'm like, this is just so boring, like, to me. 
Like, I just don't, like, don't like it. And so, like, we get there. I'm thinking, what in the world do we get ourselves into? You know, it's just chaos and craziness. And in that moment, though, here's what happens, is that the Holy Spirit, you know, and rightly so, because just the sin in my heart was, you know, overflowing. Um, like, the Holy Spirit shows up and he convicts me, and here's what he says. He says, Seth, this is a perfect image of the church. And here's why I say that, because to the rest of the world, they look at us and they show up and they say a group of people who are so in love with something that is totally foreign to them. They're like, this makes no sense to me, right? Like you, like you are telling me that all the people on this field or in this church love Jesus in that way, and we say yes. That's the church. This is a beautiful picture of the church and what the church could be, right? And so as I've been thinking over this past week, um, how do we end this series? I really thought, honestly, full disclosure, that that this was going to be really easy. It turns out it's not. (laughs) Um, Like I was just wrestling and praying over this last week. What do you want me to do? And in order to bring closure to this time in Jeremiah and for this this city. And as we've been studying through this book, you know, um, it's been a really long book. It's a long endeavor. But I think it's a very worthy endeavor. Uh, And for a couple of reasons, here's one. Um, The first one is this, is that I think it's really important for us to understand the Old Testament, right? It's really important for us to understand what life was like before Jesus, which, by the way, his time was also before us, right? So we're like going back thousands of years. But it's really important for us to understand the history and the roots um, of our people. Like we are adopted and grafted into that family. So that's our story, right? So the Old Testament, it's important to know that. Um, Two, it's really important because Jeremiah continuously, over and over and over, uh, at key and critical moments in the book, points us to Jesus, Right? And so it shows that, that even though there was this reality, there will be a new reality to come. Um, and the third thing uh, is this, is that there's really just a ton of parallel between Jeremiah and the people of their day and the people of our day, especially around the ideas of idolatry and injustice. They really are. They're prevalent. It was prevalent then, and it's prevalent now. So it's been a very important, I think, endeavor for us to walk through. But as we go, how in the world do we end this series? Especially in light of a book that's filled with these really hard things, right? This idolatry and injustice, and so much of the book is is God showing up and dealing uh, with the sin of his people, right? And in the midst of that process, he's constantly communicating over and over and over and over. This is my will. This is how you ought to live. And yet we have this choice as human beings to listen to God's word or to listen to our own. Am Am I listening to God's story as it's being revealed in the way that he says so, or am I writing my own story? You see what I'm saying? Right? And this is what, what's going on uh, in the book of Jeremiah. And so God keeps showing up and dealing with the sin of his people. But Jeremiah also, like we said, points to this new reality, to a time when God says, I will have dealt with the sin of my people in such a way that I will remember their sin no more. And I want you just to imagine yourself in that scenario, because by the way, the people who this book was written to never experienced that. 
They never experienced that new reality that one day there would be a life where God would say, I don't know your sin. I don't remember it because it's been taken care of. It's been dealt with. We know that happened in and through the person and the works of Jesus Christ, which is an incredibly powerful Thing. In fact, this is what the entire story of the Bible is about, is that climax is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We know that, but here's the deal. We now live on the other side of this new reality, right? And we have experienced things or have the privilege and opportunity to experience things in life that the people in the Old Testament never got to have. And so then the question that I have for us this morning as we wrap up this series is, do we understand? and appreciate the greatness of that reality, that new reality. How do we, here's the big umbrella picture, how do we respond to the gospel? And it's so fundamentally important to the day ins and the day outs of our, of our life. And the way that we're going, to, we're going to do that is we're going to talk about this word kind of calling, because Jeremiah has a call, and so, do, so does the church. Um, and so we're going to look at these two different perspectives. One for me as an individual, or for you as an individual, what is God's call in your life? And how do you wrestle with that? What does that mean? And where does that get applied? And then for us collectively as a church, what is our collective call together um, when we start thinking about who God is and what he's doing uh, in the world? And, and the reality is, is that the word calling uh, can be confusing because as soon as we start thinking about God's like will or his call, like really quickly we can get ourselves into this place where we get confused. Because there's these really big things in life uh, and broad things, and there's also really small and specific things that are going on in everyday life, right? So we ask these questions like, uh, does God's will, does his call apply to the university that I choose? Does God's will or does God's call apply to the job that I take? You see what I'm saying? Like, it could be a whole host of things, right? And then we have questions about who it actually applies to as well. Like, do we look at people and go, gosh, God's call exists for pastors, missionaries, and evangelists? Or is it something that exists on every single person? And so there's lots of things here that we can talk about, right? And we can find ourselves in this place where we go, like, this is really actually kind of confusing. And what we'll find at the end is I think that we oftentimes end up overcomplicating this issue in, in a lot of ways and, and many times it's actually far more simple than we give it credit to. Um, but I know that can be very confusing. And in fact, for me, even in my own story and in my own life, my, my story is this collection of stories where really at the end of every day, you know, what I'm ultimately trying to figure out is, God, how have you designed me uniquely from every other person? What passions and gifts and talents have you given me that makes me different from other people, makes my impact different, right? What is God's call on my life? And you guys are asking the exact same questions. Whether you're younger or older, we're constantly at different phases in this process. And it took, for me, honestly, it took for me um, a couple of key moments in my life. Um, and uh, I remember this one moment many years ago. I was sitting on some random guy's couch in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and it was this guy who worked with this, this thing called the Life 
life plan with the Patterson Group, and, and they set you down, and for three days, you just walk through your entire life. And, and if you know those little sticky notes, right, little sticky notes, does anybody still use those, right? Like, okay, so you know those little ones? You ever seen the big, massive ones for the walls? Um, we uh, went through, over three days, we went through over 50, 50 of those in his room. <laughs> And he's like, okay, so let's walk through this. Okay, good. Next one. We kept doing it over and over and over. And at the end of that three-day process, I came down. I came out with this one single sentence that I got to wrestle with and say, gosh, this is how God has wired me. This is how I'm designed, right? This is how I'm made. This is my kingdom impact that makes me unique from everybody else. Not everybody has the opportunity to do those types of things, but there are ways in which we, as people and as individuals, right, can wrestle with the story that God has given us to help identify, you know, what God's call is in, in, in our own life. And really what we're looking for is the idea of purpose, Right? We're looking for the idea of purpose. Um, if you think, I don't remember, I think it was uh, Thoreau who said, uh, said this about you know, basically purpose. He says, um, oh, what was it? Uh, every, um, the vast majority of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Because at the end of every day, what's hardwired into us as human beings is this longing and need for purpose. We all want it, we all crave it, we all seek it. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of the story in Genesis when God creates Adam and Eve, right? And what is the, the rule or mandate he gives them? Do whatever you want. No. He says rule over creation. There's this work that is designed for us before sin ever enters into the world. I know some of you, especially younger people, are like, man, work entered into the world with the fall of, the fall of humanity, that's wrong. <laughs> we feel that sometimes because work is hard, but it was always a part of our design that we would work and find purpose in what we do. Always has been that way. In fact, I think that heaven will be similar. And now you're like, now I don't want to go to heaven. <laughs> no, you do, right? It's that work is intrinsically wired into us that we find purpose in this life. And so my hope is, is that as we kind of move through this, this final chapter, is that together we can, in, even just in a small way, shape, or form, on a Sunday morning, recapture both individually and collectively our purpose. How has God designed us and how has God designed us together as a church? And so um, if you've got a Bible, I want you to just open it up. Uh, we're going to be in Jeremiah uh, chapter 1. We've already done this. This is at the very beginning uh, of our series. And so we're going to look at two, two passages very briefly. Um, and we're not going to unpack them the way that we have in the past because I just want us to, to end this series with some stronger application, okay? So in Jeremiah chapter 1, we're going to look at the, the call of Jeremiah, which application-wise, we're talking about us as individuals, okay? What is my call as an individual? Verse 4. It says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I, this is God speaking, formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I want to read it again, just, just a little bit slower. Just let's let this sink in. Before I formed you, 
in the womb, I knew you. Before you were ever born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Okay. So <clears throat> here's where we're going to we're going to jump over here, and uh, we're going to put at the center of this, right? Because here's, here's Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah is a youth, full head of hair, no beard, okay? Smiley face. Here's Jeremiah. God enters into the story of Jeremiah, right? And so, like, here's the deal. So God is, you know, in his space, uh, however you want to think about that. But here's what is communicated, is that God enters as the divine being in this, enters into and speaks into humanity. Okay? And this is something you can catch actually in that. You look at the personal pronoun in there. The subject of the sentence is I, Yahweh. He's talking about himself. Like I, God, and we are the direct object. Right? I formed you. You see what's happening. It's the divine to the human. And what God says in this is he says a couple of things, right? He says, I knew you before you were ever born, like before I ever, like before I even formed you, which is in and of itself crazy to think about how God, when he looked at me, for whatever reason, this is the way that he decided to design me. With these physical features, with this personality, uh, with my gifts, with my passions, God, before he ever even formed that, he says, I know everything that there is to know about you, right? Remember that passage, he says, I gave you know the number of hairs on your head. For some of you, that's much harder than it is for me. God's like, that's an easy number, two, <laughs> you know? Um, but he says, God says, I knew you as he speaks into humanity, right? And he says, I consecrated you, which really is, you know, this idea of like setting apart, right? I did that wrong. Set apart, right? And it's, it's this, the purpose though, is that it's designed for holy use. So as God enters into Jeremiah or to us, right, in our little lives here, he says, I knew you and I set you apart. Like there's another group of people, I pulled you from that group. And he says, and I appointed you, right? And there's these three massively powerful verbs, I knew you, I set you apart, and I appointed you, right? And it's not just, this is not the only time that we see this in Scripture. In fact, it happens even with Jesus, right? If you remember um, the story as Jesus is spending some time with the disciples, um, and, uh, and he speaks this to him. He says, remember, you did not choose me. I chose you. Right? And now in that setting, in first century uh, Judaism, disciples would pick their rabbi. So it's like, oh gosh, like he's the coolest rabbi. I'm going to follow him. He's the least legalistic. He lets me do more than that guy, so I'm going to follow him. He's got a cooler robe, you know, whatever it is. He has the right interpretation of the law, and so I'm going to follow him. And as Jesus enters into the story, he totally flips the scenario, and as this new authoritative teacher, he says, I'm not going to let them choose me. I'm going to choose them. And of course, we know that he's reversing the rabbinical like practice, but the deeper spiritual reality is what? Is he saying, I chose you for my family. 
There's the spiritual choosing as he brings them and invites them into his family. Which, by the way, remind yourself for a moment of the diverse group of people that Jesus calls. Right? Does Jesus go find the best disciples? Does he find the people most well-versed? No. He finds a bunch of random fishermen. He finds a tax collector. He finds a zealot who, by the way, is is, uh, someone who hates Rome, and the tax collector was a Roman sympathizer, and so he's taking the fisherman's money, and all of a sudden you have this weird triangle of people who in their natural context would have hated each other. But when you put Jesus at the center, as soon as the gospel story enters into this, the lens shifts, right? And we begin to understand this kingdom purpose different because people, the disciples, no matter their differences, are drawn to the person and to the lifestyle of Jesus because it's so different than everybody else. And so what they see in this person of Jesus is the idea of purpose, Right? And so here's my question. As we think about this idea of choosing, so, you know, whether this is you or me or Jeremiah represented here, how does it change the story for you to think now about the fact that God knew you, set you apart, and appointed you? How does it affect how you read the rest of the book of Jeremiah? Because remember, it's 52 chapters of terrible. It's 52 chapters of mess. And what we see is that now that we've, we've wrestled with all of those deeper emotional components and all those questions, right, we go back to this very first text and we remind ourselves that when God shows up, it's totally on purpose. And it's not haphazard. There's nothing unintentional about this. God said, I knew exactly what I was doing and I chose you. I designed you. Now, we all live in a different scenario than Jeremiah. We have very different platforms. We have different gifts. We have different talents. But this is no less true for you than it was for Jeremiah. God says, I have a plan for you. I've designed you. I've wired you exactly the way that I want to do that. And when we start to shift and to see that, what happens is that clarity enters into our life and we begin to have confidence in who God has made us to be. And we stop. See, humans have this nasty habit of diminishing ourselves at the sake of other people. So we look at other people and we're like, ah, but I don't have their gifts. I couldn't do that. I'm not. But God's like, maybe not. But I made you specifically. And it's totally freeing as we begin to allow his story to consume our story. Because all of a sudden, now here's the deal. We'd like to talk about ministering where we live and where we work and where we play. Because if God, if this is true for you as much as it is for Jeremiah, here's the reality. Where you live is no longer your, just your home. Right? Where you work is no longer just your job. And where you play is no longer just your recreation. Because God has designed you, and he's chosen you, and placed you in the exact space where he wants you to be. And there's something pretty cool about that. Pretty amazing to think that God has a plan for you and me as individuals. There's design and purpose. And all of a sudden, we begin to put ourselves in this place, and we begin to to see our awe and wonder of who God is and his plan unfold. 
and we see the greatness of God in the midst of our story. But here's the reality for many of us, for most of us, really everybody, okay? Let's just say all of us. Um, the most natural thing for humans is to question God and to doubt God, right? Look at um, verse 6. Here's what he says. This is Jeremiah's response. He says, Then I said, uh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth, right? I am only a youth. And so here's what happens is that we come back to this, this scenario, right? And so if before this was God saying, I knew you, I set you apart, I appointed you. Like, this is us down here. This is the reversal, right? This is what happens, is that we bring back to God this response. Has anybody ever done this? Like, God, are you sure? Is that how I'm wired? Are, are you positive that this is your call for me in my life? Are you sure? Right? And this happens with Jeremiah, and this happens for all of us, is that we have this, this fundamental question, this, this response. We're going, gosh, what really is your call in my life? And that is a great question. It's a great question to say, what's your call in my life? But the problem, oftentimes for us as humans, is the focus of the question. Because even though it's about God, we make it about ourselves. And what we're saying is, what's your call in my life, to make me happy. That's where we go. And it's about me. And it's the self-focus. And, and just remember, remember this, write this down, whatever. Like, just cling to this, remind yourself of this, is that my story is not my story. My story is God's story for me. Do you see the difference? My story is not my story. My story is actually God's story for me. And so for all of us, we have these questions about God. Like, what's your call in my life? Guys, guys, guys the reality, the reality of this is, is this, is that until we shift from my story to God's story, I will always be in an existential crisis. I will always have more questions because it's always about the story that I'm writing. And it's never really in alignment. Although sometimes it can be, but oftentimes that's not true. So until we shift from my story to God's story, I'm going to continue to say, God, what's your will? What's your will? What's your will? What's your will? Because I'm constantly asking the same question because I'm constantly not getting the answers that I want. And that happens in life, right? And so here's, the, here's something I just, you know, it's, it's a great question to ask. And I want us to be super aware of the fact that God sometimes calls us to do very specific things. But at the more fundamental element of that question is, is less about what am I called to do and who am I called by? Because we forget that what we're talking about is the creator. Before I ever worry about what I'm called to do, you should know this, is that your calling is much more about a response to your creator. Because it's about who 
calls us. It's the God, the creator, Yahweh, who calls us to himself. I love this in Psalm 138, it says this. It says that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Right? Does that apply just to the author of that? No, right? To us too, right? The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, for Seth, for you, right? And here's what I love is at the center of this as he goes on, he says, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Like what's at the center of this relationship is the idea of love. Now, I realize that not everybody in this room probably has had this experience, but if you ever, um, if you ever by God's design fall in love with someone, like I remember the first time I, I like touched fingers with Nikki, it was electric. It was like, wow. And, and here's the deal. Uh, we were just like in the same room. That's it. Because when you're in love with somebody, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You, you, just, you can sit there and go, ah. That's true. It doesn't matter what you're doing because you're in love with the person. You can drive and go, ah. You can go to soccer and not watch soccer and go, ah. I'm kidding, right? I watch soccer. I love my daughter too. So, you know, here's this, like, this thing. It's like when you're in love with someone, there's this response to, right, to the gospel, right? It's like falling in love. And what God says is he's like, Seth, here's my plan for you. I knew you. I set you apart and I appointed you. And the same is true for each of you. And I love that that's true. You see, when God designed each and every one of us, he designed each and every one of us to play a part in the kingdom in such a unique way that no one else in the rest of history can do the same way as you. Now, can God raise up worshipers out of stones? Sure, yeah, because we disobey all the time. But you are unique and perfect in his eyes, and you have a unique role to play. I, I love this idea of like thinking like a puzzle piece, like, like you and I are part of the puzzle, and he's like, he's like putting us in, and he uses us in this way, and you're like, man, I'm just like all blue. I'm all sky. I got nothing, but I connect people. I'm connected to this plan. I'm connected to what God is doing. And it's not just for pastors. It's for every single person. And here's what he says in verse, in verse 9, right? As God kind of enters back into this. He says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. You see, what God is doing, he's reassuring Jeremiah. He's like, Seth, don't, don't worry about all of your faults and failures and insecurities. Guess what? I got this. I'm going to do it. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Guys, the key there is the idea, those last two words, is the idea of building and planting. You see, what we see is that God's plan for Jeremiah is ultimately, even though it requires some natural deconstruction, his ultimate plan and purpose is about growth. And it's about Jeremiah growing the kingdom. So I want to ask you this question. And you can write this down and wrestle with it throughout the course of this week. Pray over it. But here's just how has God uniquely wired and called me to make an impact where I live work, and play. 
wrestle through that. Guys, the first and foremost way in which you can be connected to the answers that lie behind this question is by holding this so close to your heart and reading it and engaging with it because every day we need to be reminded of our gospel identity. This is who God is. This is who I am. It's not about me. It's about him. It's his story, not my story. And so that's the best place to start. But if you want Go read books, do personality assessments, do what you can to identify how God has designed you to be unique in a way that nobody else is. But it's not just about Jeremiah's call, it's about our call collectively as a church. And if you were here at the beginning of this series, we gave these out, and this is for this city. It's got a, you know, just picture of our skyline, and it's just this neat thing. And, and the idea, the desire was that we would hold this close to our hearts, that we would meditate this, memorize it, read it, pray over this. Here's what it says. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. And here's the thing, here's this growth component, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Guys, there's there's a lot of things that we want to do to seek the welfare of the city. One of those things is this idea of building a community gardens on our grounds that we can engage with our neighbors. And because we know that's even in this, which by the way, that was an idea before we even got to this point, right? But that planting gardens will become the symbol, this image for us as we begin to think about what are we doing to actually seek the welfare of this city. And we have those types of things that we want to do, and that's exciting. But at the core of it, at the fundamental piece of it, it's just to pray. It says pray for the welfare of the city, because in its welfare, you will find your welfare, right? So, as we look at this, right, so you've got Jeremiah as an individual, and you've got the church. You know, you've got this group of people, the individuals and the collective. What is it that God says to Jeremiah? Do you remember? He says this. He says, I want you to build, and I want you to plant. That's the growth factor. What does he tell the people? Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat the produce. You see, all of a sudden, when we look at this, we begin to see the way that there's synergy that's created when we as individuals begin to wrestle with and grasp our God-given calling. And when that comes in to a group of people who collectively are doing that, we find synergy in a way that we as a church move together to embrace the welfare of this city. And the growth that happens out of that is just incredible. And that's what we pray for. That's what we long for. Guys, our story is not our story. Our story is God's story for us. And so I want to ask you this question. 
And you write this one down with you and take it with you, just like the other one. And I want you to be praying. I'd ask you to be praying over this. What is it that God would want us to do that collectively we rally behind in such a way that it shows favor to Fargo-Moorhead? Now, ultimately, this is going to come out in our vision. And if you don't know, we're in a process of waiting on the Lord to see what our vision is going to be. But would you be praying for that? Now, how do we wrap this up? I just want to make this really practical here at the end, um, because that's what we need kind of coming out uh, of Jeremiah, right? Um, is that sometimes we just don't have all of the answers in life, because for many of us, if you're like me, you think, well, gosh, Seth, I have been praying that God would reveal to me my calling. You know, should I go to this school? Should I take that job? Should I do this? Should I do that? Right? And we don't have all of the answers. And so here's what I would say is that at times, I'm going to put a circle around this, okay? Because at times, what God does is that he shows up and says, Seth, this is exactly what I want you to do. And this is what we might call his specific will, right? And so oftentimes in life, we're looking for this black and white. We want God to show up and give us answers to all of these questions, but this is the sphere in which we are looking for them. And so many times in life, which what happens is that when we don't get those answers, we get flustered because we, don't, because we want to know what God wants us to do. But in reality, we free ourselves up when we allow ourselves at any given time to remember that God has a general will. And that when I don't know the answers to this, there are always things that I fall back on. Like, for instance, should I always love people? Yes. By the way, if you don't have this, that doesn't negate the fact that you should love people. Right? Uh, should you always make disciples and multiply? Yes. Should you always? I tried to do this first service, but it didn't work. That's ah, terrible. I've seen of the hands, like the gift, the emoji, like hands for praying. Should you always pray? Yes, you should. This is fire. I don't know. You know, should you always bear one another's burdens? Yes. Should you always be wise, good listeners, right? Yes. So there's always these things that when we don't have this, we lean into this and we do the best that we can. Because sometimes God says, this is exactly what I want you to do. Notice how build and plant, build and plant are like this bridge between the specific and the general. Because sometimes, in Jeremiah's case, these were very specific things that he called them to do. And yet at the same time, what happens is that when we live in the general will, we allow ourselves to do that. We find ourselves free because we're still bringing and, and, and modeling and hoping for growth. And longing to see God show up. And what happens, guys, is that in life, so many times, as, as God communicates over and over to us, this is what I'm looking for, this is my will, this is my call, whether that's a specific thing or a general thing, what happens as human beings is that we say, no, thank you. And what that does is, and this is what the entire book of Jeremiah does for us. We can sum up on this. When we say no thank you, what that does is it exposes the darkness underneath. And it reveals our idols. Because those are the things that we cling to more than what God says. And so we say no thank you because my story is the story that I want to write. Your story doesn't matter to me. And it's connected to our idols. That's why Jeremiah is so 
important. That's why understanding that we need to check our, if we want to engage in the freedom and the joy of a life that is in service to God, our heart has to be in the right place. Always. That's what's true. And uh, uh, repentance, you've maybe heard us say this word many times, but repentance feels like an ugly word because we have to deal with the grossness of our sin. While that might be true, here's the flip side, is that repentance is actually about realigning our heart with God's heart. Repentance is about us realigning our story with God's story. And that's where we find our most satisfaction when we shift from me to him. This is the story that he's writing that we want to partake in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as we finish this series, Lord, I pray that you uh, would stir in us that people, we would find this immensely practical that I don't have to worry all the time about having a specific, a specific thing that you're telling me exactly what to do, but there are things that in life on a day-to-day basis when things come up, I can lean into your will and into your call and know that I am being faithful to you no matter what. And so would you incline our ears to that reality and help us to gain an appreciation in the midst of this, having understood and looked at the struggles of the story of Jeremiah for us thousands of years removed, 2,500 years later, to live on the opposite side of that new reality where we have grace and forgiveness. Lord, may we be overjoyed and overflow with that grace and forgiveness. And may, Lord, that stir us and move us into the world. May we continue to reveal in our hearts the idolatry and any grossness that needs to be brought before you. Lord, would we pray and seek the welfare of this city. We love you. Amen.